0: What's up, food liquor I'm John Motter with the Services Not Sweep Storage at in LA. And there's a whole lot of things that could and should be funded to prevent evictions and to help unhoused people, including eviction defense. I mean, my landlord right now is trying to get rid of me, and there's absolutely no mechanism in place to hold them accountable. And the city doesn't prioritize my needs, at least, you know, not over what property owners um, and their demands for more sweeps. Um, the one thing this money absolutely shouldn't go towards the LAPD. <laughs> something the city in is laundering money from things like Measure H into programs like Hope Teams or the Hope program, which is LAPD program, it's something David Rew did a couple of years ago where he laundered money from Measure H uh, by taking it from Crisis of Bridge House and giving it to Hope Teams and then refunding Crisis and Bridge to Measure H. So no one becomes a cop to uh, with homeless people they do it to murder them so, yeah. um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> guys, this is Chris Rock here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the fire up in Eagle Rock from two weeks ago, an update on the 4118 kerfuffle at City Hall, a continued ban on community college parking for homeless students, regulatory capture of the South Coast Air Quality Management District, quite a mouthful that one a new proposal to include homeless voices in decision making at city hall uh some more non-solutions for implementing vision zero in our city and we'll tie everything up with a fun story about flying cars Whew! gonna be a busy one this week how's it going bushido
1: Uh, it's going pretty well it's uh it's still hot in phoenix uh which it's going to do for a while it's going to be 95 this week though 95, like I'm excited, oh, hey. so that's that's kind of the one thing, and we got a couple of monsoons, so that's always exciting when we get <laughs> okay. like these big epic looking storms clouds. rolling through the desert. You yeah. know, it didn't rain enough to really do that, but, di- but like huh. large parts of the city lost power after a tiny bit of rain, so uh, Phoenix is going well. well.
0: That's, that's reassuring.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, you were down at City <laughs> Hall this week for some fun stuff, uh, and I've seen some I clips was. from that, but yeah, tell us about that.
0: Uh, yeah, well, so uh, we let's actually save that one until we get to the 4118 coverage uh, f- with the LA Times editorial board stuff. But uh, I think we should just jump, jump straight in and talk about this crazy fire up in Eagle Rock and uh, some shocking... Shocking news, I tell you about well, I, uh, what's going on with the uh, with who who may have been involved in setting that blaze. And I think it's important to note before we get into this too far that you know on the heels
1: of Knock and Koreatown for All uh, exposing a lot of these like violent vigilante uh, anti homeless groups that are operating in the city, mainly in the valley, it looks like um, we see a this crime happening, and then B uh, LAPD has finally taken notice of the fact that several of their officers have been participating in the Groups and apparently, like goading on people to take violent action against their unhoused neighbors. uh, There is going to be a meeting with uh, the uh, up in Topanga to talk about this stuff, and we'll have some coverage for that next week. But this is becoming like a real issue, and for those of us that have been working in this sector for a while, we always knew this was out there. Um, But it's even worse than we could have imagined, and I don't think anyone saw the story behind this fire coming. So let's, let's talk these details real quick about the guy who tried to burn down Eagle Rock.
0: Yeah, so uh, on August 25th, a brush fire broke out in Eagle Rock near the junction of the 2 and 134 freeways, prompting closures of both of those freeways and evacuations of the Glen Oaks Canyon neighborhood. Uh, As is customary whenever we get to deal with these kind of brush fires in the heart of LA County, uh, videos of helicopters dousing the brush with water on the edges of the flames immediately popped up on both Twitter and Instagram, and people were freaking out posting pictures about the cloud of smoke rising in the the distance as they're sitting at Dodger games it's a very LA way of dealing with these things but uh, the fire was ultimately contained after burning approximately 45 acres uh, no one was injured in the blaze though one, I mean sorry one one firefighter uh, suffered some minor injuries when uh, fighting the blaze but nobody else was injured uh, and fortunately no homes were destroyed uh, no no built homes anyway uh Mm -hmm. when the fire did manage to jump across the freeway and uh put some of those neighborhoods in danger uh so according to some reporting by uh jesus sanchez from and the uh, the city news service uh in the east sider which is the uh the publication for, for Eagle Rock Neighborhood News, Brian Antonio uh, Arojo, Arojo Cabrera, uh, 25, and Daniel Michael Noguera, 25, also, uh, were arrested early Saturday morning, according to a brief statement that was issued by the LAPD. The case will be presented to the district attorney on Wednesday, this was passed last week, said the LAPD. Uh, and what were, so, they, what
1: were what are they arrested on, um, specifically?
0: Well, so they were arrested under suspicion of having intentionally set the blaze as a way of targeting uh, the unhoused folks who were camping in that
1: Area. Yeah, I think that specifically they're uh, they're facing. Well, they they possibly could be facing charges of arson and attempted murder. And I think the second one is really the one where it's going to be interesting to see if yes. that's the the case that goes to trial. Um, because as we know, people with means like these two young men generally are able to plea their way out of serious charges.
0: Yeah. So there's actually some security footage apparently of uh, the of an exchange between. Uh, these guys in a pickup truck uh, having some kind of a heated exchange with one of the unhoused folks in the area. Uh, and then there, I believe it was something was thrown from the truck into the area in, in an attempt at setting the blaze, uh, which was very successful because it did burn 45 acres. Um, so that, that was what some of the reporting had said on this issue. So, uh, yeah, these two guys, both 25 years old, were arrested under... Uh, suspicion of the arson and of attempted murder, Uh, multiple counts of attempted murder because it was targeted at at an encampment with multiple folks living in it. Um, But Noguera is apparently the, quote, is the son of a prominent Eagle Rock businessman, according to ABC7. Uh, And according to jail records, he's out of custody after posting a $1 million bail uh, and who is that prominent businessman you might ask? Well, it's Michael Naguera, who is the President of the Eagle Rock Chamber of. Commerce. And
1: now the Eagle Rock Chamber of Commerce was making some waves uh, earlier this year, and still is, as the bus rapid transit debate is heating up in that area of town, because the city of LA would like to start installing bus lanes that will take you efficiently from one end of town to the other, Uh, and so ERCC was putting up lots of banners around the neighborhood saying that bus rapid transit was going to destroy the neighborhood and destroy the character of the neighborhood and its small town feel. Uh, A lot of people came out and were like, we have these beautiful medians in eagle rock and you're going to destroy them and what they're not kind of noting and this has been noted by michael Kohlhaas and also the folks over at la podcast is those medians are there because they used to be train tracks like eagle rock had light rail and then they took it out and they were like oh crap now we have these like gigantic gashes in the street so they put in these these manicured medians but the manicured medians were are newer than the light rail so this is yeah. kind of the more of this small business tyrant behavior where people who have moved into a neighborhood now assume that they control every aspect of development there. And it's not a hard leap of logic to understand that the same kind of like mentality that tells you that bus rapid transit is bad because poor people will ride the bus through your neighborhood is going to lead to like violence against the unhoused because you have this very ownership mentality that, oh, I own a house here, which means I own the neighborhood. And we're just seeing this play out in like more violent and ridiculously destructive ways, and it seems like, you know, as terrible as this behavior is, Aruhu Cabrera and Noguera have, are responsible for their actions. City Council. It bears a lot of the blame for letting things get to this point, for having done such a terrible job of controlling the housing crisis, of getting people into housing, of providing services, and even clean encampments, like giving people the basic necessities for human life, that people begin to take vigilante action. And this, I do want to stress, this is not isolated to Eagle Rock. We're seeing these groups pop up in Mar Vista, in Chatsworth— All over the valley, all over the city, people who are homeowners and who live in neighborhoods and like have roofs over their heads are coming to the conclusion that the only way to deal with homelessness is to violently attack people and they're getting a lot of coverage from that from LAPD not just because LAPD officers are participating in their violent vigilante groups on Facebook and other social media but because LAPD itself treats the homeless with like very violent behavior the the only demographic in the city that has seen more arrests year over year are the unhoused. And the only people who are seeing an increase in violence year over year against them is the unhoused. And because people who are unhoused also tend to be black, um, you know, in disproportionate numbers to what the city's uh, uh, actual population is, we see this violence taking on a racial tone. And it's really hard to ignore that stuff. And it's also really hard to understand what the Eagle Rock Chamber of Commerce is really fighting for at some point. Like I don't understand what their development plan is when Eagle Rock is an absolute nightmare to try and traverse during like rush hour and that alternative transit and public transit seems like a way to solve those problems because everyone's complaining about traffic and the best way to deal with traffic is get cars off the road in favor of buses and trains.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's also worth pointing out again, uh, like we keep going back to this, but the reason why Eagle Rock's like downtown area feels like a small downtown area is because of the damn transit that they used to have. Like those medians exist because there used to be light rail there. And that light rail was what enabled those businesses to exist in this sleeper suburb. Of Los Angeles, which again, if you haven't seen it, uh, Michael Kowalsz put out a, uh, a, a wonderful tweet uh, showing an old ad that was uh, put up by the developers who who brought Eagle Rock together, uh, and like, were where then you know they the history of most of these neighborhoods in the city of L.A. is that you know a developer buys up a big tract of land, they then subdivide it and they start. Uh, Selling it to to potential homeowners, and the the marketing pitch for Eagle Rock was straight up says like it is a uh, uh, there are lots of restrictive covenants that make it so that the homes will all be beautiful and manicured, and that it's basically only full of white and Caucasian folks. Yep, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much quoting directly from the damn ad right yeah. now. Yeah, and and it uh, was very much stuff.
1: yeah, it was very much in line with the development at the time. Where Hollywoodland, mm-hmm. uh, which gave us the Hollywood sign, uh, it was yep. a white covenant that was like, "Hey, if you're afraid of the city and you don't think the city is white enough and is too chaotic, move up to the Hollywood Hills where you will be safe from the masses of not white people." Oh yeah, uh, and this was really how LA was built, and we've covered you know redlining, redlining and stuff. But even outside of redlining, which came about you know kind of after these racial housing covenants were outlawed, before that happened. People were able to be like very explicitly racist in their development, and that is responsible oh, yeah. for a lot of the reason that LA looks the way that it does now.
0: And even in the '50s, when uh, when like the Hancock Park, uh, you know, community association or whatever the name of it is that their their homeowners association there. Uh, Back in 19, I think it was 54, there's a great article that was put together by Mike Dickerson over at uh, K-Town for All that talks, exp- talks about the explicitly racist uh, shenanigans, shall we say, that the Hancock Park uh, Homeowners Association went through to keep Nat King Cole out of their neighborhood because uh, even though he was one of the most prominent... Uh, faces in the uh, entertainment industry, he was still totally not welcome in Hancock Park because, oh, shock and horror, he wasn't white. Um, But yeah, so this is like, the stuff going on on, up in Eagle Rock uh, with this fire is just truly horrifying, and we keep getting to hear, we keep hearing about stories of, more and more acts of violence and vigilantism against our unhoused neighbors. And it's just, it's, it's totally galling and, and, I mean, we we know that a lot of this comes from the fact that our elected officials and our police and everybody else uh, have a set narrative that they're already pushing uh, that is not constructive when talking about the, these kind of issues. And yeah. even even in the choice of language, where people are talking about homelessness versus you know they're they're homeless people, it's like well they're they're unhoused. Like using even just subtly changing the language really does impact the way that people talk about this. And I, I've got to say, I mean. People freak out on Twitter sometimes about like PC language that's being used to frame this stuff. Like I've actually been called out myself because I said unhoused neighbors and a bunch of reactionary shitheads uh, were like, what kind of a moron uses that language to talk about homeless? It's like m- someone who cares. Honestly, well, like, like if you've yeah. got a little bit of empathy, you you understand that they are unhoused and like using homelessness is turning into kind of like a derogatory term in a lot of these circumstances because it's used to other uh, our neighbors. Like these are our, these are our neighbors. They are people. They are from our community. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something,
1: one reason I choose to use the term unhoused and I try not to use homeless though homeless, like it is, we're kind of conditioned to everywhere. use it. Like we're more yeah. used to, to hearing it, but I like using unhoused more because I don't fundamentally believe that anyone doesn't have a home. Like everyone has a place they belong. Everyone has a place where they're welcomed. This is just someone who doesn't have four walls and a roof, and we need to reframe that. And as one last shout-out before we move on to our our next story that's directly connected to this, uh, if you don't listen to Citations Needed uh, podcast, listen to their latest episode, (laughs) and then the episode that's coming out next week, that is all about how the local news and the media feeds into these views that like people who are unhoused are violent and dangerous, and that our sympathy should always be with the business owners and the small Business people who are, you know, angry at panhandlers or people who are living in tents. And it's a really interesting deep dive and also shows that, like, what we're dealing with in LA is not unique to LA, unfortunately. We're seeing the same issues in Florida, in Austin, Texas, across the nation, people who have this ownership mentality have decided that they have the right to enact vigilante violence to protect what they see as theirs. And this ties directly into what Mitch O'Farrell is now pushing at the LA City Council uh, in terms of having the City Attorney's Office uh, revise uh, the City Ordinance 41.18, which deals with where you can sleep in a tent. So let's dig into this, because you were at City Hall while they were taking public comment on this. Uh, It seems like this isn't going to be necessarily the really easy path that Mitch was hoping, and he's getting a lot of blowback, not just from activists and citizens, but from the city council members, it seems like. People are very uncomfortable with this, but let's go ahead and dig into this.
0: Yeah, so for a little bit of background on this, uh, Mitch O'Farrell, so the the way that this was uh, introduced, this, this s- proposed amendment for 4118, uh, sections C and D, and we we cover this uh, pretty extensively last week. Um, basically, this this proposal was introduced uh, after a closed session uh, of the homelessness and poverty committee. Uh, so this was like a, a really kind of a backdoor way for Mitch O'Farrell to introduce this language, uh, and it, it came about in. Uh, a circumstance where there was basically nobody was left in the committee r- room to even take note of what was going on. Um, but we had uh, Jed Perriott from DSALA. Uh, and there was, I believe, one other person who were still in the room when this language was first put forward, and it was read twice into the record, and then David Rue uh, assented to it. Marquise Harris-Dawson, as well, also voted to uh, accept it and move the motion forward. Um, But it is attracting some serious attention. It's it's, um, remarkable to realize that this was only like two and a half weeks ago that this all went down. Um, But last Saturday, uh, right after we had talked about this on the podcast, uh, the LA Times editorial board uh, came out and was asking the real question that really should have been popping into pretty much everybody's head when Mitchell Farrell and the city attorney, Mike Fuhrer's office, proposed some of these changes for this uh, the the Sit-Lie Sleep Ordinance, as it's also referred to, 4118. Quote, LA might ban the homeless from sleeping near schools or parks. Then where will they go? And I mean, the, that's just straight up the LA Times editorial board calling it what it is of like, what, what, what is the plan here? Like, where, what, what is the solution to this? This is, we keep referring to this as uh, a game of whack a mole, where unfortunately, like, it's our unhoused neighbors who are the, the, the target of this massive, you know, hammer of justice, as it were, from LAPD and LA Sanitation. And it's just like, where do you expect? people to go if you're just going to criminalize them sleeping in an area where they've already been, or you're coming in and you're doing a, a, a an unscheduled sanitation sweep, or even a scheduled one. It's like, what, what's the what's the goal here? What is the end goal? Where What's the plan for how you're going to be actually getting people out of their tents and into permanent shelter and into safety uh, so that they're not going to be targeted by vigilantes who are trying to burn them out? Uh, yep. So the the editorial board actually did a really great job of summarizing the background on this because it, sometimes people get confused about, like, why are we even talking about 4118? Why uh, is Mitch O'Farrell trying to propose an amendment to change it? Why is the city's attorney, uh, the, his office, why are they getting involved in this? And so for a little bit of background on this one, let's just quote straight from the editorial board. Quote, For more than a decade, the city of Los Angeles has been required by a court settlement to let homeless people sleep overnight on the sidewalks because it cannot supply enough housing for them. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals underlined that point last year in a case involving the city of Boise, Idaho, declaring that prosecuting homeless people for sleeping on public property when there was no available shelter was cruel and unusual punishment, end quote. So that really just spells out the, uh, the, the baseline here of what is going on. It is cruel and unusual punishment, from according to the courts and anyone's, you know, anyone with some empathy, for the city to be uh, harassing and arresting folks uh, for sleeping in public we, could, we literally just don't have any other options available for them. Uh, quoting further from the LA times, uh, editorial, because they really just dug in here and, uh, did a great job of breaking it down. And again, this is the LA times editorial board. They are not exactly the most, uh, progressive voice in, uh, in the news scene here in Los Angeles. They take a pretty, sometimes they, they lean left of center, but they take a pretty, uh, a pretty staid course right down the middle of the road with some very, you know, no, uh a very very no nonsense um, you know b- Like regular business solutions for these kinds of problems. Uh, So they're not really stepping out on any limbs here. Um, But quote, what the proposal will not do is make homeless people magically disappear. They're referring to 4118 modifications here. Mm -hmm. People will either stay where they've been camping in violation of the new laws and risk getting cited by police or move on, often to streets that don't have parks, schools, or daycare centers nearby. With the long-promised housing the city is supposed to be building for the homeless still waiting to be completed thank you triple h they have nowhere else to go that is exactly the point here this is exactly what the problem is it's like where the fuck do you want them to go
1: well and it's also one where like we see these same neighborhood groups and and a lot of them sort of like astroturf and bussing in like quote supporters to fight against shelter and permanent supportive housing like if you're stuck on the streets right now you're catching it from both ends where like the city wants you off the street and is like we'll build you shelters meanwhile the neighborhood yeah. groups are saying you can't build a shelter or permanent supportive housing here um oh, yeah. every all like, of we're, them we're claim we're to be to wanting that. to solve this but everyone hates all of the solutions and it makes zero effing sense especially when we look at the defeat of, like, Prop 10, because we know that, you know, it's not mental illness and it's not drug addiction that generally causes you to become unhoused. It's skyrocketing rents and stagnant wages. And the city council is also not really doing much to help on that one, you know, like... Uh, LA's minimum wage is now fourteen twenty-five an hour, and it'll be jumping to fifteen dollars an hour uh, next year. Even then, like in order to afford to comfortably afford an apartment in the city of LA right now, you need to be making thirty dollars an hour.
0: So we're still I it in this. Hu- Forty or something.
1: I, I think it's around 30. It might have gone up. I mean, the price of, of housing and it's, in some of the more affordable it's, neighborhoods is skyrocketing. So, the last firm numbers I have is about 30 bucks an hour. But even then, you can just see a huge disconnect between what people are actually making for jobs and how much they need to be paying for housing. And this Cycle accelerating. And as people move out to Lancaster and the high desert and more of the exurbs, we're seeing the, the price of housing out there skyrocket hand in hand with larger unhoused populations cropping up. Because yep. no matter where you are in L.A. County or the exurbs, you still can't afford a place to live if you're only earning minimum wage.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that really strikes me as odd that like our, our housing committee at City Hall and our homelessness and poverty committee at City Hall are, for some reason, two distinct uh, committees. I mean, I know that logistically the reason why they established the, the, the Homelessness and Poverty Committee was effectively to, to dictate how uh, Triple H funds were going to be spent uh, within the city, but the fact of the matter is that the homelessness crisis is a housing crisis, and the housing crisis is being perpetuated by a lack of movement on the part of city officials and state officials to meaningfully address uh, the the way that the way that our housing market works. I mean, frankly, housing is a human right, and it shouldn't be dictated by the forces of a market because it clearly doesn't work when you when you allow the people who are making all this profit from this market to effectively capture through laws and through buying out politicians, how that market is regulated and stopping it largely from being regulated in any meaningful way. Like in most of the state, the, in most of the housing markets in this state, you can't really do much of anything to, even if the cities wanted to do something, they can't change anything because we've got Costa Hawkins and the Ellis Act, which really uh, are, 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 Two gigantic crudgels that the apartments association and the realtors association and all of their ilk are using to completely uh, undermine and and ga- and 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 just uh, evict folks from housing and completely making it. It's impossible for the for even if like city officials wanted to, which they seem to be uh, less than willing to put their their necks out on the line for this. Even if they wanted to Im- dramatically improve the situation for. Uh, for renters within the city or, or, you know, in San Francisco or in LA County and all these places, it's extremely difficult to do so because of the restrictions that have been passed by the California legislature, uh, under the, you know, uh, the supervisorial, uh, leadership of the California apartments association and the realtors association and the building managers association and everybody else that is, uh, you know, Part of this entire process of creating a market out of what should be a basic commodity that is guaranteed uh, by the government because no one should be forced to live on the streets straight up. Yes. So uh, the the LA Times editorial board continued with uh, another Great little summary of what's going on with, quote, Of course, no one should have to walk down city sidewalks strewn with trash and stained with human feces. No one should have to live on those sidewalks either. If officials want to make the city more livable for the homeless and non-homeless alike, they should put out trash receptacles for homeless people to use and offer more access to toilets and mobile showers. And ultimately, the city must have more supportive housing and more shelters, end quote. It's almost as though the people over at the Services Not Sweeps Coalition have been making these damn points for a long time. Thank you, L.A. Times editorial board for getting on board. Mm. <sighs> yeah, so closing off the editorial like this, they did a uh, this was a great editorial. And I'm I'm thrilled to see the L.A. Times uh, getting on the uh, uh, being on the very, very much the correct side on this, even if some of their language is less than ideal. Um, Closing it out. "Quote: We get it. Angelinos are tired of the crisis and are eager eager to see some progress." Let me restart that. "Quote: sure. We get it. Angelinos are tired of this crisis and are eager to see some progress. This proposal, however, isn't the answer." End quote. And they're damn. That that is very correct. That is very very correct. Mitchell Farrell, what the hell are you thinking? Stop it. Repeal this shit. Pull back this, this, this motion for this amendment. Like just just cancel it. So. Uh, the reason why we're going into all of this this history about talking about what is going on with 4118 and the fact that there is this uh, outcry from even from the, uh, from the LA Times editorial board is that on Wednesday uh, this past week, we had a bit of an action that was put together by folks from the Services Not Sweeps coalition to effectively take over the Homelessness and Poverty Committee uh, hearing. Uh, It turned out that this was also a hearing in which a number of service providers were coming in um, effectively uh, making their cases to the committee as to why they deserved uh, this uh, an an increased share of the HAP funding, which is funding from the state that's being used for providing services for unhoused neighbors. Uh, And so we we kind of. Didn't realize that it was going to be a a major hearing. It's probably the the largest committee hearing that I've ever seen, aside from uh, the Budget and Finance Committee when they had a uh, a full hearing talking about what was you know what was going to be dictated in the in the city's budget for the year. Uh, this one, you know, they were, people were arguing for increased percentages of the, I believe it was something like $40 million that the city is getting from the state to provide these services. And uh, folks from the Services Not Sweeps Coalition came together and put our names down for comment uh, and really kind of took over uh, a lot of the, 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 dis- the discourse on this uh, issue relating to how services were going to be provided. And we, we got yelled at by uh, Monica Rodriguez, who is, the, um, who is chairing the committee in the absence of Mitch O'Farrell. Uh, I, 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 I'm suspicious that maybe Mitch didn't show up for that hearing because he got wind of what was going to be coming for him because people knew that there was going to be action he's happening.
1: He's a coward? who's afraid of the people that live in his neighborhood and the people that answer the phones at his office are also, like, their main task seems to be, like, to get you off the phone and also to lie to you in contravention of the, the Brown Act. Like, when a staffer answers the phone and you say, what is your name, they're supposed to give you their full name and his staffers don't do that. Um... It's almost like his entire office is toxic and is always on the defensive because they're scared of losing their position, and also know that, like, if people in CD 13 actually voted, he would be out in the blink of an eye. Oh, yeah,
0: no, it it, it was he, he, yeah, so he didn't show up. Monica Rodriguez was taking, was uh, chairing the committee in his absence. Um, and it it was worth noting that also, uh, David Rue pieced out of that meeting real quick. I think he stuck around for like. 10 or 15 minutes and uh once people started calling out his name uh for saying uh i believe the quote was sounds good uh that he said when the amendments for 4118 were read into the record uh he left real quick marquise harris dawson however stuck around and listened to all of the abuse that was hurled at him uh and had some pretty interesting uh, retorts there. Uh, and and uh, yeah, let's go well, ahead. And I, I, I will say uh, I've got a clip that I'm going to roll here in a second. But uh, Jed Parriott from uh, Street
1: Watch uh, asked marquis Harris Dawson straight up, "Would you support? Would you vote for 4118's changes?" Uh, and here's what he had to say. You going to vote yes on that ordinance or no? Uh,
0: what we have before us today, I can't support. So
1: that's actually pretty cool to hear that Marquise Harris-Dawson is saying in its current format he would not vote for it. Uh, He doesn't really provide a bright line for what changes he would like to see Uh, before he would vote for it, and it leaves open the door to, like, this same kind of criminalization, but with a few extra caveats. Um, Also, Marquise Harris-Dawson and David Ryu uh, both came out, like, when the blowback started after these changes were proposed, and were like, oh, we didn't really know what we were voting for, which a lot of people (laughs) were shocked, but at the same time, like, that's pretty par for the course as far as city council goes, and especially when we have the 15 little mayors system, where all of these district representatives, the city council members basically are seen as like the king of their own little fiefdom and whatever they want to see done they just kind of go and pitch it to the rest of them and there's a lot of behind the scenes horse trading and this is sort of how we get step 15 to 0 votes is everyone just constantly supports each other because they need the support of the rest of the council to get done whatever they want whether it be
0: yeah they can't rock the boat yeah
1: whether it be getting a new market rate development built or getting more money for like their favorite street fair it doesn't really matter what they're trying to do they need to keep for other people happy and so that means they're constantly giving each other favors um, but it does look like there's some movement on this um i know mike Bonin has come out very vocally on twitter and said that this is not the way oh, yeah. to solve this and we'll see you know hopefully some people coming out and and voting against this if it goes up though i have a, a I have a strong suspicion that these changes will be sent back to the LA City Attorney's Office to be watered down a little bit. Like specifically, the criminalization of, of panhandling um, will probably not make the final cut. But there's a lot of other stuff about you know the buffer zone between parks and schools and like driveways and business entrances that will probably be watered down a little bit, but will still probably be uh, be there. You know, if they change it from 500 feet to 250 feet, there's not really a functional difference there for somebody. Living Living on the streets.
0: Yeah, and so I'd actually heard that the proposals out of the city attorney's office were meant to be like these are either or situations, um, or just kind of a grab bag of choose your own adventure of how you want to criminalize homelessness. Um, But it it was, I'm understanding that they didn't really anticipate that Mitch was going to just put all of them in. Uh, So we'll see what happens. They underestimated how
1: dumb he was. And I think uh, I
0: like that. it's it's fun, but you know, the um, the way that the hearing went, uh, we kept getting shouted down, uh, well, not shouted down, but like interrupted by Monica Rodriguez, who was trying to tell us that we needed to stay on topic. This is a common thing that you see at City Hall. Uh, if you deviate from the specific agenda item that you're supposed to be making a comment on, uh, they will cut you off. And uh, I forget exactly who it was, but I believe it was from either LaFla or... Uh, public counsel, uh, but they made an an exceedingly valid point, uh, which pretty much stopped Monica from uh, criticizing us after that, uh, where it's like, look, this is directly relevant to how we're going to be providing services. Like, You cannot be asking for input on how services need to be provided if you're making it Virtually impossible and criminalizing existing on the streets. Like, service providers cannot provide service if the city is constantly moving folks around and forcing them to move from block to block to block under threat of citation or arrest. Like, this is part and parcel of how the city needs to be addressing it. And saying that we're off topic when we're criticizing 4118 uh, C and D when we're talking about actually providing services is really missing the, you know, the forest for the trees here. It's all tied together. And uh, it was uh, a very powerful, though extremely yeah. exhausting uh, council here. I think we ended up getting out of there uh after three hours and fifteen minutes or something like that it was it was a very long hearing. um I, and I downloaded there's, there's the a audio of, uh, it's
1: it's a pretty long file
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I captured some video in there uh so it, it was uh it was oh man it, it was just uh, a beast of a hearing and I think it really very much uh set the tone for what city council can expect if. Forty-one eighteen. If this if this motion doesn't see some significant changes before coming to a full council vote, because if they thought that we were loud and annoying in a committee hearing, just wait till you they see what happens when they bring it to uh, bring it to a full council session uh, on a you know whatever it's going to be a a Monday or a Wednesday morning uh, with all of the press there, Uh, because there was no press. That was there for this uh, homelessness and poverty committee hearing because the, the, we apparently nobody had let slip to the media that this was going to be happening uh, aside from L.A. Taco they were the only ones there, um, but the uh, if if they bring this up in a in a full council hearing without making some serious changes ahead of time it's going to cause a ruckus. Yep, uh, if they thought it was bad when 8502 was passed. Uh, and you know we shut that down, and one of our uh, one of our activists uh, did end up getting momentarily detained, and that made uh, some pre- I think it was front page news on the LA Times, uh, or at least on the website. The the uh, this is going to be even bigger, and there will be more people, and we will be louder, and we will make much more of a stink about this because uh frankly we are pretty much out of options yeah well we do not have any other tools at our disposal to fight this uh you know creeping criminalization process that the city is pushing
1: and it's also you know the those committee rooms are carpeted and like absorb a lot of sound uh and the city council's chamber is just like wood and marble and so those yells yeah. of disapproval really echo throughout that chamber so I'm really excited to hear that one um, and also like see the looks on the city council members faces because they're not used to getting this kind of pushback especially when it comes to defending our unhoused neighbors they've very much been inoculated against it um, and I think that's sort of beginning to very change so. but it's slow and it's it's you know I think a lot of our city council members half of them are facing their primary coming in March and they're kind of trying to de- decide you know who who can I afford to piss off more? Is it going to be the community members who care about protecting their neighbors, or is it going to be the ownership class that's going to reliably vote? And so, like, what we need to do, and I know what a lot of groups are beginning to focus on, is activating voters, getting people out, making sure people know that their vote this election is really, really, really going to matter. Um, let's stay on the topic of uh, people struggling with stable housing, specifically students. So, AB 302 was introduced this year, and we. Talked talked about this when we were doing kind of our legislative breakdown earlier this year and it was one of those sort of like milk toast proposals that also made a lot of sense and would be a good step in the right direction uh, where basically uh, community college students who cannot find stable housing would be able to use their community college parking lot as a safe parking space. Um, now these, these community colleges have massive parking spaces that are empty at night. Why they couldn't be opened up as a full safe parking program I don't know but at least this is a step in the right direction with at least getting students stable housing so they can get through college and maybe move on to, you know, a career or more economic stability. Uh, But it's apparently hit some road bumps. So let's talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, so it it hit a ton of pushback, uh, specifically coming from the the, uh, community college uh I wanna say association. I forget exactly what the what the organization was, but um basically a number of community colleges across the state came together and said like whoa 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 this is this is this is crazy. You can't you can't do this to us. Like this all is all we really want is them to pay their fees. Us. We, we don't, don't want
1: to make sure that they're okay. We just need to cash <laughs> their checks. What is wrong with you?
0: Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, what, what's going on here is that Mark Berman, uh, who is the assemblyman from Palo Alto, introduced AB three hundred two uh, back in January, and uh, he has now decided, after uh, seeing the devastating set of amendments that the Senate Appropriations Committee made to his bill, to to hold off and 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 basically. Keep this, uh, pull this piece of legislation, and wait until next year. And I believe he's uh, he's hoping to get some support from uh, Governor Newsom on this one because, uh, frankly, th- it's absurd what the um, what the Senate Appropriations Committee did. So basically, the the amendments that they were that they added to the bill because again, if you've forgotten how the Senate Appropriations Committee works, and I can't blame you because it's extremely bizarre that this thing exists, and it frankly shouldn't. Uh, same thing with the, uh, the assembly appropriations committee, all of these appropriations committees need to go away. Um, you don't get to hear, there is no public, uh, input on the decision making process. The committees get to basically just do all of this, uh, effectively by fiat. And the amendments that were put into place on this piece of legislation on AB 302 was that they were going to be, um, basically making it optional so that community colleges would be would very easily be able to opt out if they wanted to. Uh, it pushed back the start date for this legislation back to 2021, which is uh, bizarre and makes, uh, again, absolutely no sense for why they would do this. And they also created an exemption for all community colleges that exist within 250 feet of an elementary school, uh, which is extremely why? similar to the kind They're of... They're
1: literally housing <laughs> students. That's literally they, the proposal yeah. is to house a community <sighs> so, college student.
0: Uh, What the fuck? Yeah, so uh, Berman uh, captured extremely that sentiment, though in slightly more political tones, uh, in his statement that he put out in response to the amendments from the Appropriations Committee, saying, quote, Homeless students are not pedophiles that need to be kept away from children. They are men and women, many of them barely adults themselves, who are trying to improve their lives by obtaining a better education, end quote. Which hits the nail on the head here. Like, this is these kinds of exclusionary requirements when it comes to sleeping on sidewalks sleeping in your car living in your car on in a a, a parking lot uh why they put these kind of arbitrary distance uh separations in there in is the, ugh, it doesn't make any sense to do it's it straight up is uh, uh making the presumption that there's a, there's a level of criminality associated with living in your car, and the reality is that people live in their cars because they don't have any other option. And the only, the only, you know, the next step if they've been living in their car is that they get their car towed because uh, AB 516 uh, is being opposed by everybody. And then we've got ordinance, uh, municipal ordinances like 8502 that make it so that it's illegal to be sleeping in your car in a lot of these areas. Uh, And, you know, if you've got five tickets, your car can just be towed, which even if it's something that you're living out of, it can still be towed. Like the level of just, just want wanton uh, arbitrary policing and criminalization of our unhoused neighbors. It just it's everywhere. It's also worth pointing out that this this is a problem that's not uh, exclusive to community colleges. So there there's a there's a great little infographic that uh, Cal Matters put out on uh, on an article about this topic. Uh, and they point out that in the UC system, a full 5% of the students in the UC system are homeless. If you go over to the Cal State system, it goes up to 11%. But then when you get to the community colleges, it jumps all the way up to 19%. So basically one in five students who are attending our community colleges, which are like you said, supposed to be like the bare minimum that you're able to afford without, you know, coming from a background of privilege, you, your chances of being homeless while being a student at the at a community college is pretty high, like it's kind of shocking to see these numbers, and what's really disappointing with all of this is that I mean, my state assembly member uh, Miguel Santiago has made it his mission over the last couple of years of his. Uh, of his time in the state assembly uh, to make it so that going to community colleges is affordable as possible. So he introduced legislation a few years back to make it so that your first year of attending community college was tuition free. Now they just, I believe it just passed a piece of legislation. Now it's, now it's your first two years are tuition free. But what really like this legislation, while it's very nice, really misses again, you know, the big picture, the, Fact of the matter is that getting assistance for your tuition is the easiest part of being a student. getting you can find all kinds of different scholarships. You can find all sorts of financial aid uh, packages and federal funding and state funding and all of these things that are available to come out there and help you afford to pay your tuition. That's what those all these scholarship programs exist for. but it's not able to cover the cost of living. And and of course, there's a lot of money in the loan system
1: because if you're a bank and you're offering somebody a loan that they can never get out of, of course you'll make that loan. You're guaranteed to get some of your money back. Uh, And so this just sort of feeds into it. And I think also... Um before we move on I want to point out when you look at these numbers for uh, students who are struggling with housing I believe if you talk about the number of students who are food insecure those numbers are double oh, to quadruple what these numbers are so like even though 20% of the community college students don't have stable housing it's like 40% don't have stable access to food and that seems like an easy one Which to solve Which is why
0: they've been putting food pantries in Yeah yeah I mean it's so it's 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 hopeful that uh, food pantries and whatnot have been established. And, and this actually um, brings me back to uh, – I'm having a flashback now to a Homelessness and Poverty Committee hearing. Um, I want to say it was like six or seven months ago. Um, and there there was a, uh, a discussion of the safe parking program. And there were actually people there from one of the community colleges in Los Angeles, uh, and they were arguing – that the uh, proposals were uh, overly burdensome on the service provider uh, when it came to actually providing a w- what the requirements were for how for the level of infrastructure that was necessary for these safe parking programs to be implemented, um, and they were like, well, we don't we shouldn't need to uh, or no we should we should require that's that's is what, what what had happened they were saying that you should require that meals and everything be provided because that's not a uh, that's not a very particularly difficult burden for them to bear. Um, In the face of uh, these rising costs of these programs, it's like, yeah, go ahead and make the meals a requirement. And then, you know, anyone who is not a community college and is trying to provide like safe parking in these spaces uh, comes back and is like, well, wait a minute. Like, actually, the budget that's being provided by LASA for these safe parking programs uh, is extraordinarily small. Uh, And very difficult to make things close with the all of these requirements. So forcing the provision of hot meals to be part of that really, you know, limits where you can even set up these safe parking programs. But like, the people that were there from the community college were extremely uh, unwilling to accept that that was a, a potential drawback to the program, because they were like, oh yeah, you can just uh, do a food, just uh, do a, a canned food drive. Like you can, you can create a food pantry. It's it's really easy. People people go out there and and they make these donations, and it's it's an easy process to do. But you know, if it's like a church that's trying to run these things on a on, on a shoestring budget on their uh, small parking lot, they have a much harder time trying to pull in those kinds of resources that community colleges and more affluent areas might be able to do. But is this whole process of people are are in in some instances, community colleges are very willing to to make these kind of gestures uh, to try to help in their community. But at the same time, other community colleges across the state are fighting tooth and nail to stop uh, these kind of measures from being introduced. Uh, all all because the like the Senate committee the Senate Appropriations Committee, I believe, ended up saying that this was going to cost tens of millions of dollars uh, for these community colleges to implement this kind of a program if 302 were to go into law and that's why they made all of these amendments Um, but you know the bigger question is like what's the impact on our society and our economy if you know all of these kids who are trying uh, their best to get an education uh, just can't Stick with it because we have made the process so burdensome and so onerous to go through to achieve that education, and puts you so far into debt that you are now, you know, people are 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 actually in our generation are looking like they're going to end up, uh, eventually having their student debts discharged in their death. Yeah, like that is a reality that some of us are going to be dealing with. Like the only way that you'll stop paying your student loans is you just die. Like uh, that is a reality that we're looking at, and it's just i mean this whole situation is so incredibly frustrating yeah and this should have been such an easy simple uh, pretty effective but like just uh, you know the littlest of stopgap measures to try to make things a little bit better for the students who are having to live out of their cars and shower at the gyms on campus and, you know, make do in in situations that are extraordinarily not conducive to being a successful student, but yep. couldn't get it done. Thanks, Appropriations Committee. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we
1: move on to our next story, and this dovetails pretty well, uh, one thing that we've been missing from, you know, kind of all of these discussions we've been having and, and a demographic that is missing from a lot of discussions about the housing crisis and the crisis on our streets is the people who are living on the street, people who have been unhoused, people who are unhoused. And Mike Bonin just came through with a really uh, innovative and revolutionary proposal yeah. to try and fix that. So let, let's talk about the uh, commission that Mike Bonham wants to uh, uh, set up.
0: Yeah, so on September 4th, Councilman Mike Bonham put out a press release uh, about a motion that he was introducing to create a quote, commission on lived experience with homelessness. Uh, it is a pretty innovative proposal that would go a long way toward really validating um, or, or providing some some very informed critiques of what the city is doing in terms of all of the different programs that they're running and how they impact the lives of, of our on-house neighbors. Quoting directly from the press release on Mike Bonin's page, quote, we set ourselves we set ourselves up for failure if we do not take into account the experience of people who have been homeless. Programs that sound good on paper or in a city council meeting may not work given the complexities of being without housing. We need to be listening to the people who can tell us that the programs taxpayers are paying for are working as intended. End quote. So one of the really thi- one of the things in this that really stood out to me is w- like the last bullet point in his motion, where he starts talking about. Um, you know, actually paying people to sit on this commission, like giving them honorarium uh, or giving them uh, access to, you know, technology and whatnot, because it is extremely difficult for folks who are living without permanent shelter to be able to dedicate the kind of time and energy that's necessary to make a meaningful contribution to one of these committees. Like, when you or commissions, rather, when you when you look at things like the um, civilian oversight commission for the sheriff mm-hmm. or the civilian uh, oversight committee for or commission, rather, for LAPD, like these g- are groups of people largely from extremely affluent backgrounds who are in some circumstances like, well, I don't know, sober off extraordinarily rich and they just do this as like a hobby and they sit on all these different commissions they sit on all these different boards and yeah they don't get like a bunch of money for it because frankly they don't need it but at the same time if you're trying to create a commission that's going to come in and actually provide you with that first-hand lived experience of being unhoused the only way that you can really try to ask People to be a participant in that is if you actually provide them meaningful compensation for their time and energy because it's extremely like you almost never even hear anyone who is un, who is unhoused actually showing up uh, at city council meetings uh, or committee hearings. Because it's so incredibly difficult for people to even get the logistics settled to like leave their tent behind with their belongings because you don't know if LAPD and LA Sanitation are going to come through and do a hope sweep. Uh, which again, that name is just so jarring every time I think about it. Yep. Uh, there, there might be a hope sweep that comes through and is like a, a spot. Oh, sanitation no, it's hey, remember,
1: to, remember, it's not a hope team anymore, it's a care team. Oh, care. Oh. Fuck that! Don't uh, worry. In a couple yeah, of years, so, in a couple of years, they'll send out the hug team that will just be a bunch of guys in riot gear with <laughs> oh truncheons god. that'll just beat the crap out <laughs> of anyone near a tent.
0: Oh, it's so bleak. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, this 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 new commission uh, is is a definite bright spot because it. Uh, it's unclear as to like what percentage of the community, of the commission would be currently unhoused versus formerly unhoused, how long it would be viable for you to have been, how long it had been since you were unhoused before it became, you know, you're, you're no longer, uh, your experience is no longer as temporarily relevant because the policies have changed so much in the last 10 years or whatever. Uh, what the exact requirements are for setting up this commission, uh, it's all being fleshed out, and we'll go into more detail on this as things start to move forward. But it's a, uh, it definitely feels like it's a step, very much is a step in the right direction. And I'm thrilled to be seeing this. Uh, this is one of those rare positive notes coming out of City Hall when it comes to dealing with our unhoused neighbors, uh, and and giving them the kind of respect that they deserve. You know, they are human beings. They are our neighbors. We cannot hammer on this enough. Yep. Uh, and I mean, now we have spent the entire, whew, basically, what we're we're a good f- almost an hour into recording now, and we have literally only been talking about. Uh, the 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 homelessness crisis in Los Angeles yep. uh, and all of the ramifications it has. Like this is a big fucking deal, and it is great to finally see something positive happening on this coming out of City Hall. Thank you, Mike Bonnet.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to have to see Garcetti sit at a table uh, for one of these commission meetings while somebody. Uh, who's unhoused? Who just had all of their stuff stolen by LAPD? Gets to look him in the eye and and just yell at him, like
0: oh. force these people oh, to be
1: grapple beautiful. with the reality that they have created and their absolute policy failures. All right, so uh, to move on real quickly uh, from the failures of our city council and our state in dealing with the housing crisis, let's talk about the failure of our regulators to deal with pollu- uh, pollution, <laughs> to deal with pollution and <laughs> the oil and gas industry. Uh, so the air. Quality Management oh, God, District yeah. has been talking about stopping the two refineries in LA County from being able to use very dangerous agents in the way that they uh, uh, refine gasoline. And we know from Philadelphia that, like, this is a city-threatening oh, yeah, issue that we're talking about. So, yeah. what was uh, what was going down this week with the Air Quality Management?
0: So let's just go ahead and just quote straight from the L.A. Times on this one to start things off. Quote, air quality regulators on Friday killed a years long push for stronger regulation of a dangerous acid used at two South Bay refineries that has frightened many neighbors voting instead to accept a voluntary oil industry pledge to enhance safety measures. End quote. Um, Shock. Oh, my God. Can't believe that they did this. Uh, yeah. So what, what this is all about is a, uh, a compound called modified hydrofluoric acid or MHF as it is referred to within the industry. Uh, yeah, the name sounds a bit scary, but how bad could this really be? One might ask. So according to, uh, more parts of that LA times article, uh, Quote, a golf ball-sized hole can release 1,000 gallons of hydrofluoric acid in two minutes, forming a dense, low-hanging cloud of vapor that remains at twice-lethal levels two miles away, field experiments have shown. The chemical can quickly inflict severe health damage and death by burning the skin and lungs and penetrating deep tissues and bones, end quote. So... This is some scary, scary it's, shit. It's that it Simpsons episode with the in Simpsons quantity.
1: episode with that fog that turns you inside out, uh, it like just brought to real life. Like, yeah, and there basically. won't be a, a happy singing yeah. and dancing like wrap up afterwards. There will just be incredible pain and <laughs> oh, death. God.
0: Yes, uh, very much so. So the refineries uh, basically came together and put out this plan that says, like, look, 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 you guys don't need to put regulations on this. You don't need to pass any new laws. Like, we're fine. We can take care of this ourselves. Just trust us. Uh, so that plan that they put forward was passed uh, 8 to 3 in a vote from the board. Uh, with the panel's five Republicans, uh, who, of course, voted for that plan, were joined by three Democrats, uh, yeah. Including Joe Buscaino. <laughs> oh, Joe. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Joe is the city council member who represents the 15th district, which includes yep. uh the South Bay. So he is he is the uh the representative of the district that has, I believe, the largest footprint of the oil industry in the city of Los Angeles. Um and definitely where like a lot of the money is changing hands in that industry because the refine like even if you're pumping the oil out like it's got to go get refined before it can be used, and if you go down if you go down and visit uh, like San Pedro or uh, any of those areas around there, it is amazing the number of gigantic storage tanks and uh, smoking plumes of gas that are coming off of all of these chimneys. Uh, yeah across the area it's just like as far as the eye can see it is just an industrial uh frankly hellscape uh yeah uh, and and um, what really kind of
1: confuses me well i guess it doesn't confuse me it just sort of like angers my brain to the point where it can't think is the 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 solution that was adopted by the regulators here gives them like Two to five years to put in these new like safety measures, whatever they are. It's kind of ambiguous what they are. And (sighs) that means that there's two to five more years where we could have a Philadelphia size explosion that's threatening 400,000 people's homes or 400,000 homes. So we're talking, you know a lot of people who are in direct danger, not to mention the knock-on effects if something went really, really wrong. And for a while, the Chevron refinery down in Torrance has been buying Spotify ads to convince everyone that, no, no, it's safe that we're refining this very dangerous gasoline oh, with very dangerous policies like right next door to you. Oh, and it, it sort of like boggles the mind as to what the regulators are actually doing it. here and who they're actually serving. And the answer is they're serving industry. Like their job is to make life easier for, for industry by rubber stamping whatever milquetoast solutions industry comes up with that doesn't cost them too much money. You know, the argument like, hey, we could make this completely safe, but that would put us out of business. Is not an argument for putting them out of business. Apparently, that's an argument for allowing them to threaten lives in order to keep making money, and uh, that's very American. Like when it comes down to it, L.A. has always been an oil city, yeah. and we're not going to stop that anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I really hope we do, but it does look like the uh, the struggle to to put a uh, you know put an end to the extractive economy that is the oil industry in Los Angeles. Uh, it's going to be a big fight and it's going to take a lot of work. Um, but so before voting for the plan, uh, the chairman of the panel, uh, William A. Burke, was quoted as saying, I know we need to phase it out, but now is not the time. Womp, womp. So thanks, William Burke. That's great to, great to know that you are like, yeah, 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 this is, a, this is definitely a problem. We definitely need to deal with it, but uh, just not right now. So thanks. Super useful there. Uh, So one of the three Democrats that voted against the proposal was L.A. County Supervisor Janice Hahn, who summarized the situation bluntly, quote, the only way to eliminate the risk is to eliminate this deadly chemical, end quote. So thank you, Supervisor Hahn. Uh, That is extremely correct. And unfortunately, you got outvoted pretty significantly. Uh, It's also worth pointing out here that there are only two refineries. In the state of California, that use uh, MHF to produce uh, high octane fuel. So, apparently, the hydrofluoric acid is actually only used to produce uh, the performance gasoline uh, for cars that need higher octane fuel. Um, and so, those two refineries are Valero. Uh, their William, their Wilmington refinery, uh, and the Torrance Refining Company, which is owned by a company called uh, BPF Energy. So, uh, who is BPF Energy? You might ask. Well. Here's where things get super fun. They're a joint venture between uh, a couple of our favorites here. So there's Petro Plus Holdings, which used to be Europe's largest independent refiner of oil uh, by volume um, before they got basically bought and traded and turned into just a name. Uh, And that's where the P comes from. Uh, and then let 's go to the f we 'll get to the end of the acronym first, saving the best for last uh, First Reserve, which is a private equity firm that specializes in leveraged buyouts in the energy sector, which if you aren 't familiar with what leveraged buyouts are i 'm forgetting which podcast I heard this on. Uh, we might add it to like the show notes at the end if I can remember it, but there was a great discussion about what the hell you know private equity and leveraged buyouts really mean and how much damage they have done full scale to our economy since they became a thing back in the 80s. I mean, it's it's Gordon Gecko shit. Like, this is what we talk about
1: with corporate raiders, where basically a hedge fund or a financial interest oh yeah, group is able to sweep in and able to buy out a company without actually assuming the risk for it and is basically able to offload any of the debt that that company has to the investors and then is able to... Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's and how Bain capital makes its it. money. Um, it's how a lot of terrible people in this in this economy yep. have managed Thanks to, you know. And I put buy in scare quotes because they don't actually buy the business; they just sort of assume uh. all the good parts of it, get rid of all the bad parts, and then fire a bunch of people to make the profits look better, and then sell a bunch of and then sell it off to the next sucker. Yep. Um, but who, who in our rogues gallery of supervillains is responsible for this leveraged buyout? <laughs>
0: Our favorite local group—I uh, mean, they're a multinational group—but they've done some wonderful things here in Los Angeles. Great. Blackstone Group, uh, yeah. So they each committed six hundred and sixty-seven million dollars in equity to form this joint venture, PBF. They—they uh, also are also—they the, are also
1: a good the the largest I, I'm, landlord I'm in the country um, after that. buying out Home Star. Yeah, they're the they oh, they bought out yeah, HomeStar yeah, yeah. which had made a lot of money by buying up foreclosed properties, uh foreclosed homes specifically and then turning them into rental properties. Uh Blackstone and them were major competitors for a long while mm. and then Blackstone was like, "How about we just uh cut you a couple billion dollar check and you become part of us now?" And nobody in the federal government was like, "Huh, <laughs> maybe we should step in and stop this monopoly. Like maybe that's a bad development." Yeah, no. yeah. So uh Blackstone uh, after burning down the Amazon is now attempting to blow up Torrents and uh yay. yay. Yeah, so this is uh Thanks, you Blackstone. know there's not much we can do at this point. Like once these regulatory rules are passed, it takes another couple of years to get these kind of votes to go back. Like we said the the uh, energy companies have tried to placate us by saying, oh, don't worry, in a couple of years we'll have some more safety features, and until then, just cross your fingers that like nothing goes wrong.
0: Yeah, cross your fingers and hope you don't die. Thanks, guys. Uh, That's super helpful. Yeah, and IBEW... Speaking of... Yeah. You know, well, I was going to say an IBEW 18 has
1: been, you know, surprisingly uh, quiet on what's going on here, though they have gone on oh, record yeah. in the past saying that they don't support huh. new regulations on this stuff because then they would have to retrain some workers who only know how to work with MHF. And, um, you know, if your union stance is we want to keep our workers in extreme life-threatening danger rather than train them about a different way to oh, do yeah. things... You know. maybe Jesus. your union is not the good union. Um yeah, like IBW, yeah. Yep. IBW 18 has come out back. against Green New Deal, has come out against public transit, has come out against basically every good proposal um because the head of their union Darcy is very much in love with the fact that he has millions of dollars to throw around to buy politicians in local elections year after year after year and he unfortunately has been very very successful at that and is still seen as a major power broker in la uh, to the detriment of the rest of us <sighs> anyway so let's let's move on to another yep. life-threatening uh, condition that la has which is too many cars and our our attempts and very weak attempts to <laughs> yep. solve it so vision zero uh, was proposed uh, several years ago as a way to get to Zero cyclist or pedestrian deaths in the city of L.A. Because L.A. is the deadliest city in the nation for pedestrians, uh, one of the deadliest cities in the nation for cyclists. Southern California is the deadliest region in the country if you're a cyclist. And uh, Alyssa Walker from Curbed, and L.A. podcast, was actually on Adam Ruins Everything uh, this last week. Covering how it is that our, stro- our roads became so dangerous for pedestrians and cyclists and why we're not solving that. It's a really dark episode. Um, for a comedy-like infotainment show, it goes really yeah. dark on this one. So I-, I would say check that one out. Um, but let's talk about the city of L.A.'s latest idea to reduce cyclist deaths which or even pedestrian deaths, which just makes it makes no sense like we could do road diets we could make people drive more slowly we could ban cars from city centers but no what what's the genius idea this time chris yeah,
0: it's it's one of those like really this is this is your meaningful approach um i think they're doing it because it's it, it feels good and it does make people you know supposed to it's supposed to make people stop and think about stuff and it's uh, also that, that's the key cheap.
1: point there it's very uh, i believe cheap. that they, they're yep.
0: producing these things for like 200 bucks It's very cheap and it's very unlikely to earn you the ire of any of these, uh, shall we say, vehicular activist groups that go on a fucking rampage whenever you threaten to make uh, their traffic even a little bit worse by putting in things like road diets, which by the way, meaningfully have uh, very minimal impact on traffic, but have incredible impacts on pedestrian and cyclist safety, and also make it safer for you to be in your damn car because you're less yep. likely to be hit by a speedy motorist in your car, which is also the safest place for you to be hit by a speedy motorist, but, you know, compared to being a, a pedestrian or being a cyclist. But, you know, it, these, these, these uh, road diets and all of these kinds of changes are a huge net positive for literally everybody, Um, but commuters get really pissed off when you try to implement any of those changes. So the city of Los Angeles has begun installing new memorials across the city at 100 sites where drivers, pedestrians, and cyclists had been killed in traffic collisions. These quote-unquote, rainbow halo memorials include a rainbow disc and a plaque. Uh, they're intended to raise traffic safety awareness in passersby, similar to the ghost bikes that are placed at the sites of... See, this uh, is this is one thing that's really chafing
1: me about this proposal, is I've been involved with the, the ghost bikes uh, before because I've lost a few friends um, who were hit by cars, um, generally in hit-and-runs, and lost their lives, and when we would go install ghost bikes, the city would take them down. Like, the city would send out uh, L- either L- uh, either uh, uh, Department of Transportation crews or L.A. Sanitation crews to cut the chains on the ghost bikes and remove them. And we would have to go and reinstall them. And now the city, after years of being yelled at by friends and family members and activists of active transport to not take down our memorials finally allows them to stay under certain conditions. But it is maddening to me that we have been doing this for years, and now the city is basically stealing our idea after they have made a mini-industry of destroying these memorials because they were put up by private citizens. So this is one that really... It just rubs me in so many of the wrong ways to have been slapped in the face time and again by city authorities and then have the city be like, oh, you know, what? that's actually a really good idea.
0: For a little bit of context here, as of August 24th, 149 people have died this year alone as a result of being struck by a car, uh, which is, as the LAPD hopefully points out, a 1% reduction. We're going to get to Vision Zero in a century. Uh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) My God. Uh, so uh, in, in, in defense of these memorials and of all of these kinds of things it's done, it's done with a good intention from the artists, from the families. It's the, unfortunately it really is like the only thing that the city, uh, will actually go out and do is put up these extremely nominal, uh, memorials. Now, again, as you pointed out, after having, uh repeatedly torn down memorials for cyclists uh over the last you know decade or two uh as as people have been putting them up the city just kept coming in and taking them down now they're beginning to slowly realize like okay well maybe we can uh do something to appease these folks rather than actually making meaningful changes to uh improve safety on our streets um, but when you uh, when the LA Times was talking with uh, Samuel Chu, who works with uh, Southern California Families for Safe Streets, uh, which is a project that is being uh, put up by Los Angeles Walks, he said, "Quote: When someone is killed, it's a momentary flash in the news. People never know that there are years and years of difficult injuries and recoveries of or of legal ramifications, years and years of grief that never get told." End quote. Which I mean, that's extremely valid, but like these these memorials are just they're just not enough like this this is not what the city needs to be doing this i mean it's good that they're doing this but this is literally the least they can do and again it's like because these damn disks cost like 200 bucks and they were developed by an artist in residence that works for the department of transportation like This is what the city is like. Yes, this is going to make everybody stop and think as they're speeding to uh, speeding to work, talking on their phone, trying to text their friends about plans for dinner, not paying attention, and just slamming into pedestrians and cyclists left, right, and center. And yeah, no, this is. It's also one where like this is not the solution.
1: When you and I've had I had a friend who went through this where like he was coming down a hill, a woman in a Mercedes Benz ran a red light hit him, almost killed him. Like, having a helmet saved his life. He still suffered debilitating injuries for the rest of his life, um, including neurological damage. And she got a slap on the wrist. Her license was suspended for a year, I believe. She was... Yeah, it was an accident, even though she was drunk. Um... But she that, uh, she ended up, freeze. I believe, getting a ninety day suspended oh, sentence. Um, lost her license for a year and is then back on the road. And there's no like, there was no probation where they made sure she wasn't driving while she didn't have her license. There was no actual like enforcement of this. You know what he was basically told was, you go take care of this in civil court. You know if you are injured for life, you have to sue her to try and get back what you've lost, which money isn't going to replace that. And the cities and the the you know. Our national government decades ago made the decision that if you're a cyclist and you get injured on the road by a driver, that's not a criminal matter. It's a civil matter. And now the onus is on the cyclist to go get an attorney, to sue someone, to hope that that person has enough money that they can pay them off, to hope that that person isn't able to declare bankruptcy to get out of the debt. And it becomes this insult to injury sort of process that we're going through. And we know from looking at DUI numbers that stricter enforcement of road laws leads to a decrease in that kind of bad behavior. And I'm not going to sit here and say that like DUI enforcement is a perfect model for anything, but the number of people who die in alcohol-related crashes across our nation gets lower and lower every year, that we've seen those trends drop over the decades, and that we have a workable and useful model for enforcing these kind of rules on the road. And like one of the things that that the the state of county could do that would immediately help is to change the way in which they decide what speed limit should be on roads rather than deciding that speeding drivers get to set the minimum speed limit on a road they just set it for what's safe and i honestly don't care if you're in your porsche and you want to be doing 70 on a road that's a 40 mile an hour road like just learn to drive safely because it literally is killing people you know um people are coming out with a new proposal to try and limit the number of children who die in hot cars, which, yeah, that's that's a problem. Like, 50 kids a year should not die because they were left in a hot car. At the same time, 5,000 kids a year die from traffic accidents or traffic collisions. One of these is a bigger problem than the other one, but we have this sort of, like, fait accompli idea when it comes to traffic collisions with cars, that that's just something that's not avoidable. And we know from Europe that it's very easy to decrease the number of people who are killed by redesigning cars so they're safer. Big SUVs, big trucks, the gigantic 18-wheelers that are sitting way high above the the street, they can't see what's immediately in front of them. They can be redesigned to be safer, but industry doesn't want to do that. And instead of moving to protect people who are road users outside of cars, we're playing to the convenience of people in cars and playing to the convenience of industry and it's just literally killing people and turning our streets into this darwinian competition and it makes no effing sense and all it takes is some political will which unfortunately the people we've elected don't seem to have but hey as we've mentioned a few times we all get to vote in march and maybe just maybe we can vote for some folks that will start to change this I guarantee you, in the next six months, there is going to be a news story about how somebody crashes into one of these Rainbow Disc memorials. Like, I just, I guarantee it. It's going to be up there, and it's going to be some of the most sickening irony.
0: Because these are, always, these are always at sites that, like, there's a reason why these sites are where these collisions happen. And it's because the roads are just poorly designed, the speed limits are too high, there's not enough visibility, there are inadequate safety protections. There's a reason why these sites are where these accidents happen. And so that is exactly what's going to happen, is that we are going to see one of these memorials get run over. That's what happened when they, were, they had a uh, memorial uh, for a, 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 a uh, not a hit and run because the semi trailer didn't the guy that was driving the semi didn't even realize that he had hit that uh, those poor students. Uh, there was a memorial that was 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 set up on the roadside and it got smashed like during the memorial service. It, it, it's just these these are problem areas that we can solve. And it, it just we need politicians that actually have the, the the spine to go out there and actually do something about it.
1: All right, so uh, now after talking about LA's infrastructure, or lack thereof, and uh, just the terrible, terrible job that everyone has been doing running that city, let's move on to something uh, that really, yeah, that's something that really, like, excites me, because, you know, I'm a big fan of sci-fi, and so I always love when people look at our broken infrastructure in this country and say, hey we could do something simple like build trains or make sure everyone can ride bikes everywhere. Um, you know, like not order everything from China so there's a, a smaller, you know, carbon footprint on on getting your stuff. But instead, they look at the problem and they're like, no, we need like fucking jetpacks. So today's reading group is all about the dream of personal human flight. Since uh, mm-hmm. from the, the Wright brothers on... Everyone has wanted their own plane. So let's go ahead and get into this. Me fail English? That's impossible. All right. So the, uh, the editorial that we're going to be going oh, after today God. was uh, published on CNN in their opinion section. And it is entitled Personal Human Flight, Science Fiction Becomes Reality. And this is by Gwen Leiter. And now I have to say, like, we know that this is a very objective and well-reasoned and well-considered opinion that has absolutely Mm -hmm. no personal bias in it. Because Gwen Leiter (laughs) is the founder of the Go Fly Prize, which is the multi-million dollar (laughs) global challenge to create personal human flight machines. Oh, my God. So... Good. Uh, Gwen also has a headshot included, and she just looks as absolutely bougie as you could possibly imagine. Um, so let's let's just kind of go into this one and find out why we shouldn't just build trains and, you know, more accessible transit, but instead, you know, we should all have a mm-hmm. jetpack. So, quote, lost among the contentious rhetoric in Washington is a bill before Congress that actually has bipartisan support. America's, tran- uh, America's, Wait, there's a bill for this? Oh, oh hold on. She, she mixes and matches her arguments. It gets great. So, quote, America's okay. Transportation Infrastructure Act of 2019 is a $287 billion spending bill to fund highways, bridges, and tunnels, with grant programs to provide infrastructure for hybrid, electric, and alternative fuel vehicles. This is a very important first step, but it is akin to putting a bandage on yeah. a severed artery. America's infrastructure is in dire need of repairs. The American right. Society of Civil Engineers estimates that the U.S. needs to spend some four point five trillion dollars by 2025 to improve the country's roads bridges and Airports and more. According to Trip, a national wait, transportation yeah. research I mean, group, forty-four percent of America's major roads are in poor or mediocre condition. So she's right. Yeah. Like everything she just said is yeah, that's that's all true. Yeah, it's, it's all it, very it's true, terrible. but not for the reason. Bridges reasons, are literally
0: falling apart. Yeah,
1: but that not for the reason she wants. Right? Like her argument isn't, "Hey, uh, let's invest uh-oh. in all of the uh-oh. the infrastructure that we've got so people can move." Like, let's wait. So it's not infrastructure week. Well, and and you know she's also like, <laughs> let let's not build like Maglev trains or do something simple, you know, where we can move a lot of people. You mean,
0: Um, like, emulating the way that things work in all of the other developed countries around the world? It, like, literally all of them? Again, remember, like, if you... And you know this better than I, having, like, actually put
1: stuff in the sky, that if you get to too high of an altitude, uh, you don't have as much oxygen, and the brain begins to starve. So I think, <laughs> Gwen, as we go through this, you're going to see that she may have been spending a little bit too much time in these personal <laughs> flight vehicles. But let's go to the next paragraph. So, quote, And problems with our infrastructure oh, no. will only worsen to due to growth... Uh, uh, and problems with our infrastructure will only worsen due to growing urbanization. A United Nations report last year predicted that by the year I 2050, mean, two-thirds of the world's population is expected to live in urban areas. To accommodate this population density, cities will require yeah. massive changes to infrastructure, including more efficient and environmentally friendly transportation. Like trains. Like, again, yeah, like let's like just build some and trains.
0: Uh, and and bike lanes and more and better sidewalks and more 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 subways and all of these mass transportation options that Work, but it, and work really, really well. But we for could, moving people around very quickly and cheaply.
1: We could build trains that already have like a well developed safety infrastructure and safety yeah. standards, and don't require like an entire new air traffic control infrastructure in every single city oh, to no. accommodate the millions of people. But that oh, no. that is stupid person thinking, Chris. So as oh, Gwen no. tells us, quote, one innovative solution is on the horizon. For the first time in history, we have the ability to create personal human human flight. Earlier this month, Frankie Zapata uh, piloted his hoverboard across the English Channel. Of course this is just one example of many inventions <laughs> that are being developed. So I got I got two thoughts here. One, Icarus because like the Greeks tried that and they were like, yo, don't be stupid. But two, Frankie Zapata, after he did this trip across the English Channel on his hoverboard, said that was uh-huh. miserable and painful. Like, he had to, and, and uh, not only did he not do the entire trip in one go, he had to stop in the middle to refuel. So already you're kind of seeing this like, wait, yeah. So so he, yeah, so he, like... you can already see people just <laughs> dropping out of the sky into Lake Michigan because nice. they misjudged their fuel. Unless they
0: have a support. but
1: also like (laughs) this was an incredibly painful way for him to fly and he was like yo doing a hundred miles an hour on a hoverboard across the english channel really hurt and i never want to do this again so i'm not sure why she's using this as a selling point because it's very clearly not like it's very clearly like a terrible way to do personal travel but let's keep going quote from electric aircraft to jetpacks our science fiction dreams are becoming a reality Okay, uh, sure. I mean, they're not, but huh. also maglev trains are science fiction, and you know we could build those they, now. Yeah, uh,
0: she. Yeah, those things are super cool. Yeah, the jetpacks seem like efficient. extremely expensive and very loud and not super like accessible, especially for. Anyone who has any kind of a disability and like needs help. Well, and also uh, with getting to places that really hard to make a jetpack be ADA compliant. Well, and
1: also like a maglev train isn't going to drop out of the sky and crush you while you're walking your dog in the morning. This is
0: true. So I mean, I mean, if you put if you did it like as an elevated maglev, for some reason, and like did that going through, like, a city center, which really wouldn't make any sense because anything that's going through a city center is going to be something slow and making lots of stops. Exactly. Because that's exactly what you need to do. But, like, you could... I guess you could do it with a maglev, and then, I mean, if you put it as, like, an elevated train, then maybe it could fall over and, like, hit me with my (laughs) dog in the morning, but it seems unlikely. Monorail. Seems very unlikely. Monorail. (laughs) Monorail. Anyways. Monorails are cool. Don't diss on the monorails. That was... The Simpsons episode was about the flim flam man, not about the actual technology of the monorail. That's just...
1: Hey, if you've ever said, been to
0: Seattle and they've got that monorail that goes nowhere for no good reason, like, you, you learn to love them. I mean, we have one of those. But they have actual cool monorails in places like, uh, I think Tokyo has one. Uh, Chiba has one. They've got some cool ones in uh, other parts of East Asia. Like they, You can do legitimately awesome things with monorails. It's just that we apparently very much suck at monorails in this country, like horrifically so. Hence the Simpsons episode. Yes. But, yeah, so
1: uh, so she continues, quote, There has been a convergence of breakthrough technologies over the past few years. Personal flyers are now possible with advances in propulsion, lightweight materials, and the sensing and control systems of the drone world, combined with the increased performance of batteries and capacitators that make it possible for electric vehicles to go farther than ever before, along with the
0: what, advent did of did 3D printing. Capacitators instead of capacitors? Uh, Yeah, you're right. It's capacitors. <laughs> Keep it. Keep it in. Uh,
1: along with the advent of 3D printing and other types of rapid prototyping, <laughs> ev- inventors around the world are finally able to create the flying devices of their childhood dreams.
0: Shitty printed plastic. Yeah, yeah so, baby. Let's do it.
1: There's a reason that like your 737 is not using 3D printed parts right now. Like there, there's a reason that's <laughs> yes, not happening. Yes, there's a very
0: good reason. It's not very structurally sound. I looked into this before. I mean, maybe things have really, really changed in the last three years, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of limitations to what can be three D printed in terms of things that you could use in any kind of a transportation infrastructure. Like we we looked at it for maybe like possibly using it for some like ducting stuff, and it was mo- basically only going to be viable for for prototypes and mockups because it just was not in any way ready for prime time. Maybe it is now, but like uh, I mean, even then, like you're not uh, going to use it to like physically construct anything of any significance. Even
1: then, like the ghost guns, like. Like, the vast majority of those that work are not actually 3D printed. They're just, like, a receiver that is yeah. drilled by a machine. Like, none of the parts are actually 3D printed yeah. because all of the tests I've seen of, like, the 3D printed guns fall apart the after, breaks, like, two like or three w- shots. After one shot. Yeah, they're yeah. not very useful. Uh, but anyway, she continues, quote, <sighs> A number of initiatives are already striving to take us off the roadways and onto the skies. And she says onto the skies, not into the skies. So, Curious. Uh, Kitty Hawk's Cora, an all-electric two-seater air taxi, is currently testing in New Zealand, and Boeing's Aurora passenger air vehicle, PAV, became one of the first electric prototypes to successfully achieve autonomous hover flight in January. Meanwhile... Uber has partnered with multiple companies to conduct test flights of flying taxis by next year. <laughs> so first off, in New Zealand, like it's very empty and it's also very small. So I can kind of see why like an air taxi might make sense in New Zealand as opposed to New York. Yeah. And as far as like you trusting, gotta hop around some islands, well, as far as trusting Boeing to get me anywhere in the air, like their yeah, most no, su- not, successful not all, aircraft was no. is literally still not in service because they cut so many corners right. on that. They also almost yeah. lost a. Penny Pentagon contract because they were doing such a terrible job of delivering the planes to the Pentagon that the Pentagon was like, we're not buying any more
0: cargo f- planes from well, you. No, it's, it's even worse. They were delivering them with, uh, they found a ladder left in the tail section of one of these cargo planes during an inspection. Like, they left a fucking ladder in one of these cargo planes. Like that, the, the, it was not something that was just like, oh, yeah, we're, we're in the middle of work and there's like a ladder that the technician was using. No, no, no. The ladder was simply left in the tail section and was going to get buttoned up inside and would have become a massive piece of debris bouncing around during flight, pulling apart the tail section of one of these, uh, one of these cargo crafts, and would have definitely taken the damn thing out of the sky. Like, well, the- this is what happens when you take union jobs that require actual skill and lots of experience and you just say, nah, we can do a union busting tactic of relocating our factory someplace that doesn't have any kind of union protections and instead just hire a bunch of people that are just trying to get by and don't understand the, the, the severity of, like, making a mistake on one of these production lines and doesn't doesn't have the proper training for how to meaning how how to do that job correctly and you know not risk people's lives because they literally just their bosses don't care and they've not been instructed in how to care and everyone just wants to you know punch in, punch out and get paid. Yep. <sighs> Good times. Uh,
1: and then before I move oh. on to the next paragraph, I also want to point out that like Uber literally had to suspend their autonomous like oh, vehicle yeah. program because it killed people. Yeah. And Uber itself has yes, it a did. terrible safety record because their business model isn't building safe things. It's building profitable They have things. a business
0: model? Eh, their sorta. business model is just burning money. <laughs> like, literally, their business model is burning money. Didn't they just get, like... No,
1: no, no. no. It's, th- not, th- it's not burning they're... money. It's siphoning it into executives' pockets. But also, the other thing ah, I want to point out is Uber scheme. already, right. like, has... A helicopter taxi program like they're already doing yeah, that with helicopters do. uh which already exist and are also incredibly expensive and like economically destructive or environmentally destructive to fly yeah i mean uber yeah. doesn't own the helicopters they just contract with no. people that do uh but she continues quote yeah.
0: they act as middlemen
1: boeing pratt and whitney and more than 20 aviation associations have also supported the go fly prize the multi-million dollar challenge that i created Zapata was a phase one participant in the competition, which has attracted more than 840 teams with a total of 3,750 innovators from around the world, all with the singular goal of creating a personal human flyer.
0: Okay? Okay. 3,750? That's like a lot of people working on a project that's going nowhere.
1: Yeah, well, and also, like, the guy who was a Phase 1 participant has said this is a terrible idea, so, again, not sure why she's (laughs) bragging about him, seeing as he said this was a really bad idea. Uh, But she continues, quote, the GoFly prize is championing championing the development of vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. These GoFly VTOLs are lightweight, quiet, single-passenger aircraft that take off vertically into the air, meaning they don't need need runway space and are often powered by yeah. electric or hybrid engines making them both energy efficient and ideal for commuting in cities again None of these are commercially available. Uh, None of them are anywhere near a, a city, and the FAA is not about to let them get near a city. I mean, hell, uh, if you want to fly a drone in Los Angeles, you've got to file a flight plan with the FAA, and, like, they can say no. And that's, like, you know, maybe yeah. a foot in diameter. And they're like, hey, if that <laughs> have, can fall on someone's fun doing head. that with your commute. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, hey, if this thing can fall out of the sky and hit someone on the head, we got to be really, really careful with it because our whole job is to stop I'll things look. from falling out of the sky and hitting people on the head.
0: Yeah, and one of the big things that like changed recently in LA is that now they've finally started letting people build buildings in downtown that don't have helipad's on top of them. Like that was a big change. That's like why Wilshire Grand has this like uh I don't know like sloping whatever you want to call it top with a big spire on top of it is because it was one of the first buildings that is built that is of that height and does not have a helipad on top. Everything else has a helipad on top. Where I mean, the new stuff is probably not gonna all have helipads. Where is she planning on having everyone like park?
1: Well that's the other thing is like the wingspan on one of these is gonna be big. Like it's gonna be like at least twelve or fifteen feet from like tip to tip. It's gonna
0: be like a Q. Yeah like like, where where the hell are you going to put that? Yeah it makes And then where do you put it afterward? (laughs)
1: like, what? It just flies around forever, Chris, and just waits for you.
0: (laughs) No! (laughs) So much wasted fuel. Oh, it's like when people talk about like the autonomous cars, they're like, yeah, it's going to be great. We don't need parking anymore once you've got autonomous vehicles because you just get out and then you just have it circle around the city all day like running on juice because nobody cares. Like, yeah, man, it's going to be great. It's going to be just adding to traffic for no reason because we hate the world. Well,
1: the other thing is like, she keeps talking about you know like hybrid oh, electric engine uh, like hybrid engines and electric engines and it's like we already yeah. have a consumption problem when it comes to lithium ion batteries yeah. like it it's incredibly let's, like let's, let's destructive to pull that stuff out of the ground, refine yeah. it, produce it, and then in ten years it goes bad and you just have this like toxic battery that you literally can't do anything with because if it's exposed to the air, it's going to light on fucking fire. Like that's why you can't take your vape and put it in the cargo section of a plane.
0: Like this is not safe technology. Oh, I mean, and also by the way, remember that the 787 from Boeing, just highlighting something else. Uh, when they were putting together their batteries for the seven eighty seven, they kept having fires. Like they literally were having battery fires because they didn't know what they were doing. Apparently, yep. They just had their their uh, their flight their um, uh flight batteries just kept catching on fire and like grounded the vehicles for a bit. Uh, good times. Yeah, I totally good, I, I totally trust them going. to build my Amazing. personal flight vehicle.
1: Yep. Uh, yep. So she continues, "quote In the face of increasing urbanization and failing infrastructure, it is necessary that we adopt a transportation system centered around personal flight. We have the technology, and the Federal Aviation I, Administration I, is already working on the regulatory aspects. Which I'm going to stop here in the middle of her paragraph and say, one, we don't have the technology. That's why you're I, writing this yeah, article no. and running the stupid prize. Correct. Two, the reason the FAA yeah. is developing the regulatory aspects is the is because they know an idiot like you is going to try and jump the gun, like." <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) They want to be prepared for when a moron's like, I've got a flying taxi for two people. I want to put it up Uh in the air. And the FAA is like, hell no. Like, that's why they're doing it. Not as a vote of confidence, but to be like, some idiot's going to try and do this. We better have a way to stop that.
0: Yeah. And then another thing here with this is whenever somebody starts talking about, like, personal flying vehicles, like, there's a thing when when you, if you know anybody who flies a plane, like, And, you know, having worked at SpaceX, I know a bunch of folks that like were uh, like hobbyist pilots because that's just kind of a thing that goes with people working in the aerospace industry is they they have an obsession with planes. So uh, there's a a huge pre-flight checklist that you have to go through every single time before you fly anywhere. And the idea that you're just going to have like your daily commute be done in a personal flying vehicle is patently absurd. There's a, The reason why they go through these checklists is because it is so like every single thing must go right and you cannot uh, skip any single part of that checklist or you will fall out of the sky potentially. Like, there is so much more risk.
1: If you have a problem, you can't pull over onto the shoulder in the sky. You're just dropping like a stone. (laughs) And there's also, like, not to mention, like, just to get the license to be able to, like, be in an aircraft, like, co-pilot seat, to not even be in control of the the plane. You need, like, 1,000 hours hours. of training and, like, 3,000 hours of flight time. Oh, my God. It's it's just it's nuts. Inc-
0: <laughs> so uh, she continues this. Oh paragraph. wait, no, it's going to be self flying, isn't it? It's uh, going to be self flying.
1: Yeah, no, because we all know that you know <laughs> computers really good at that. Autopilot,
0: stuff. totally infallible. Yeah, totally infallible. That's uh, definitely <laughs> not why any of those seven. Yeah, uh, the seven thirty seven max falling out of the sky.
1: Yeah, no. Well, and that's the other thing that kind of gets me is like, Jesus my my Jesus. cousin is he he works for a regional airline and he's a pilot and uh-huh. the only time he's really in control of the plane is for like takeoff and landing, because once you're, like, up in the sky, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, barring something, like, totally unforeseen, you're, like, pretty good. Like, you're going to keep flying. Mm -hmm. But it's the takeoff and landing part that's really dangerous, and that's where you need the humans. And, like, imagine you just, like, woke up, you didn't sleep very well, you're trying to guzzle down your coffee, you hop in in your personal (laughs) flight vehicle, and you're trying to take off while your neighbor's trying to take off, and then you slam into each other, and you crash into your third neighbor's yard. I mean, just the the Keystone you die and cops you burn down the of this. other neighbor's
0: house and like kill all of their family as they're getting ready to go to school, and suddenly it's like eight people dead on the morning news. Yeah, this sounds like a really great idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, traffic collisions are already one of the leasing, leading causes of death in America. We totally want those cars yeah. in the air. That's that's the solution. Wait, is, aren't
0: aren't traffic collisions like the leading cause of death for kids in the U.S.? I believe so. Yeah, it's like. It's, like, real bad, folks. Like, let's just put them in the sky and make it worse for some reason because clearly trains... Trains are just not the option. Sorry. train's not the option, man. She continues this this uh, she
1: continues this paragraph <laughs> oh, quote. The final step will be public acceptance. With the Go Fly Prize as well as other personal flight programs currently being piloted around the world, the public will soon realize just how efficient and effective this form of transportation will be. So I am okay being I... the final stop to public acceptance. Like if I am the one man standing. Between her and success, I am okay with that. Uh, But also, it's weird that she keeps pimping this Go Fly prize. Like, it's a really weird, sort of strange thing that it's centered around this, like, lotteryism of, like, the inventor who gets there first. And we haven't seen a lot of success from those programs anyways like they a lot of those oh, yeah. prizes go unclaimed or, like
0: the uh,
1: well or a lot of the prizes go unclaimed or they result in technology that's not feasible like somebody wins the prize and then they're like yeah there's no way to scale this up but hey i got my million bucks
0: well so there's there's the the notorious one that uh what was it spaceship 1 uh one that they they ended up becoming uh folded into uh virgin galactic and that has uh The big claim to fame of recent years was that they managed to screw up one of the control levers and literally just killed a test pilot or two test pilots, I believe. Um, So, yeah, that that happened and they claimed the prize and then there was no viability to that product whatsoever. So that that prize, uh, that was the, the X prize, right? Yeah. And then there was the there's the Lunar X Prize, the Google Lunar X Prize, which has notoriously been extremely totally not successful. Um, And so then this Go Fly Prize, like I'm looking at it and it says it's a two million dollar competition. Like the idea that you're going to be able to build uh, any kind of a personal flying device, quote unquote, for under two million dollars is just insane there is absolutely no way you're going to be able to do that on that kind of a budget and then on top of all that like so you're going to be running into the red in the first place like this is just going to basically be like some kind of an inventor pyramid scheme where you're going to have to find someone like Richard Branson or Jeff Bezos to like front you a whole bunch of money and then you're going to just burn it while you build some kind of a a, you know a very sleek carbon composite structure and you It's powered up with a bunch of uh, prototype engines and, and it works and it flies twice and then nothing ever comes of it again because it is a totally impractical and not scalable solution in any meaningful ways because we've seen this before and it keeps happening and we're Doomed. Yeah. Oh, no, it,
1: it it's it it is very <laughs> nonsensical, especially when you imagine the wear and tear of people like flying these every day. Like, if you have a regular mm-hmm. aircraft, even if it's your own little like uh, Cessna or your own little like uh, Piper like Bear Cub, you have to send that thing in for like really uh, uh, intensive maintenance every few hundred hours of flight time. Like, every two weeks, your personal air taxi would be out of commission because they would have to be switching out bearings and, like, changing parts and making sure that it's okay. And, like, I see the way most people treat their Honda Civic. And I don't trust most human (laughs) beings to be able to handle their own flying taxi. And imagine, like, the other option here is that these flying taxis are more like, you know, um, more like an Uber service where you're just, like, ordering them as is, which means they're having even more flight time on them and being used even more intensively. And that just raises more questions about, like, how overbuilt this sort of thing would have to be and where we would be getting, like, any of the, the... and the people with the the skills to actually fix them and how efficient it would be to keep these in a city, it just is absolutely insane. And also the fact that they can only carry like one or two people in the space of what is effectively three cars. Like we're even less efficient in the (sighs) space-to-people-moving ratio. Uh, But she goes on, and I'm glad you brought up the moon because her last two paragraphs... I'm going to roll through here, and uh, you'll you'll understand. So, quote, In a speech in September of 1962, President John F. Kennedy declared, We choose to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. We have gone far beyond what Kennedy could have ever imagined when he set his bold deadline in the space race challenge. Now it is imperative that we reach the next audacious challenge by making the dream of human flight a reality. Which, A, human flight is already a reality. Like, we already do that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the space race was never actually about the scientific discovery. Like we didn't kidnap all those Nazi scientists because we really wanted to learn about the cosmos. <laughs> we did it because we're like, holy shit, you're
0: able to It's hit... a rocket that's also a missile. Well yeah, you're <laughs>
1: able to fire a missile from Germany that's able to hit a pretty, you know, decent target in London. Like not pinpoint precision, but like for the for the the time, like pretty pretty good accuracy compared to the rest of the weapons that we had, we would yeah. really like to strap a nuke to one of those. But none of our math guys are good yeah. enough at that. So, Werner von Braun, uh, we got to you first, so you're going to build missiles for us, which also could, you know, maybe take us to the moon. But once we kind of got to space and realized that weaponizing space made zero sense and the Russians were also like, yeah, we don't want to weaponize space also— The space program died. Like that's why we built the space shuttles and then stopped caring about them. That's why two of the four of them were allowed to blow the fuck up because we weren't paying attention to them anymore.
0: Yeah. So, other fun fact about the space shuttle: like, uh, do do, do you know do you know where the uh, the design requirements for the cargo bay on the space shuttle came from? Oh, I think I've heard this, but I don't remember off the top of my head. It's, It's the it's the Pentagon. Like yep. it was literally designed. The space shuttle was literally designed as a mechanism for deploying top secret military satellites into orbit. Um, and that's the first and primary role that it served for a long time. Like there are a bunch of classified space shuttle missions where you don't know what was being flown in them. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) the the other thing that... Definitely, the space race was much more about the military than it was about any kind of exploration goal, so...
1: Well, and the other thing that kind of (laughs) gets me here, well, A, like, that's why Boeing's trying to develop, like, personal flight vehicles is they don't really care about transporting civilians, but, like, it would be really (laughs) handy for special ops to be able to slam, like, two SEALs into one of these things and, like, drop them behind enemy lines and, like, an autonomous drone-type thing. Like, that's something the Pentagon Mm -hmm. would pay good money for. The Pentagon doesn't care about, like, getting your kid to dance care by air. They're not going to invest a lot of money in that one. But the other thing that this reminds me of that I kind of forgot a second ago was there was that Mars probe that slammed into the surface of Mars because it was a a joint development between the European Space Agency and uh, I believe JPL uh, and a conglomerate of of American like... Oh, and they just... Yeah, and they forgot to do that. Yeah, they they forgot to do the conversion between like meters and feet. And so like the aircraft thought it had three times more like descent to do and instead of like stopping where it needed to stop and deploying its parachute, it just shot itself into Mars and exploded. And I imagine that, like, the production line on these sorts of things would be spread across the globe, especially if we're talking, you know, really intensive. Uh, rare earth mineral development for like lithium ion batteries and stuff like that and it seems to me like it would not be that hard for a company to cut some corners screw something up somebody do some math a little bit wrong and then pump out a couple hundred of these things that slam into the side of an apartment building accidentally like this is so much more dangerous than just like driving a car and driving a car is already incredibly dangerous yeah
0: Yes. So I I would say that realistically, like it's probably going to have, if they do end up going forward with this, which I don't think is realistically going to happen. But if they did, the level of like uh, NTSB style uh, regulation in terms of doing inspections and and certifications of these vehicles would probably be significantly higher. But you're probably still going to end up having some kind of recall of like, whoops, we screwed up like i mean look at the history of all of the recalls that have happened for cars uh in just the last like decade and let alone like going back to the 70s when we were first like kind of really figuring out how all this stuff worked and like the ford nova uh was it chevy nova whatever chevy the nova. nova was like just exploding on a regular basis because people didn't know how to design gas tanks like oh no i think you, no no i think you i think you're thinking like of that.
1: the of the gremlin That was the one that, yeah, that was the gremlin that was exploding. The Nova was instead a lesson in how to market in other countries because they, the Nova was like fairly popular as like a cut rate muscle car. And then they tried to sell it in Mexico and all of these consumers in Mexico were like, Nova (laughs) means no go. Uh, I don't want the
0: car that doesn't go. (laughs) I
1: want the car that goes. And so like Chevy ended up having to scrap like
0: millions
1: of dollars worth of cars because they just didn't understand that like different languages require different marketing.
0: Yeah. It was the Gremlin that like you could rear end and it would explode. That's right. Yeah. So uh, and, and then there's the um, the Yugo. Those were those were also fun. And the Pinto. Um, good stuff. But anyway, the uh, I, I just like while you were talking about this, I, I pulled up a YouTube video on mute from the Department of Aerospace Engineering at Texas A&M uh, that was from two years ago talking about the Go Fly prize competition and uh, apparently, they're, they're they're highlighting this this prize is sponsored by Boeing, of course. Ha! Um, and the uh, the prototype that they were talking about was effectively like, imagine one of those little drones, like those quad rotor drones. Um, but scale it up and basically turn it into like a motorcycle in the center and put a person on top of it and then have the blades on the bottom. And then this is going to be the ultra quiet thing that's going to be able to lift off from your garage, like from your driveway in front of your garage and not wake up all your neighbors. Like those quad rotor drones right now are so freaking annoying with the noise that they make. Like I can't even imagine what one that's – You know, an order, a couple of orders of magnitude larger is going to end up being like, it's just, it's uh, the the whole thing. Like, I I don't know what they're trying to do. This is so backwards and stupid and not, not the, not the sustainable solution. No, it's just looking at a. Planetary crisis of global warming, folks. Like we don't have time for this bullshit. It's just techno-grift.
1: That's all it is. But so I wanted to ask your <sighs> expert opinion because out of the two of us here, like you've actually successfully <laughs> had things leave. Uh, the the ground, uh, you know, and that is exempting, like, when I scare my cats and they <laughs> jump four feet into the air. So it doesn't sound like your expert opinion is that you would buy one of these, but I just want to double check that.
0: Oh, hell no. No, uh, no, I am I, going to, I am far more likely to trust in, you know, a, a Lime scooter than I am into any of these things, and I, I really don't trust the Lime scooters very much anymore because yeah things are turning into death traps because they're so poorly maintained and destroyed by the public. Uh, also, they're very bad for the environment, but this one's much worse for the environment. Like, much, 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 much worse.
1: Yeah, so Gwen, than, than I, I apologize, but we're going to have to expropriate all of your prize money to just build some light rail uh, to move yeah. way more people Unfortunately, way more safely. Only
0: build like a fifth of a mile. Of you know what?
1: It's way. better. It's better because like... I I know You're that right, like better, one of these but... like weird quadcopter bikes is not going to drop out of the sky and crush my poor dog, and that, that yeah, that'll get me sleeping a little like bit better. Or kill like
0: ten people in downtown LA during a rush hour commute because that's exactly what would end up happening. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, folks. I just, you, you, I just keep imagining giant balls of fire falling from the sky as these things. Uh, inevitably get screwed up because people don't know how to maintain their vehicles. Yeah, no, somebody... And like I, you said...
1: I remember there was a meme that showed like Blade Runner uh, 2019 or whatever and they are like, imagine if LA actually had flying cars and it was just a bunch of fireballs strewn, strewn throughout the sky as people yeah. slammed into each other in their magical flying vehicles. So uh, you heard it here first. Uh, we're not going to be flying anytime it soon. It's okay. We no. can still get around in safer ways. So uh, let's... Uh, Monorail, folks. Yeah. Monorail's where it's at. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, we'll move into like some events that you might want to hear about or you might want to show up at. Uh, In the next week or so, Uh, the first one I'm going to throw up, and this is obviously coming up in a couple weeks, the global climate strike is going to be going on for a week from September 20th to September 27th. Uh, The big dates are the 20th and the 27th, which are Fridays because of the whole climate strike started by Greta Thunberg. Uh, There are strikes going on in pretty much every major city in America, and if you don't have one around you feel free to start yours. Uh, it's going to be really, really uh, exciting. And I'm, I've am i been working with the Arizona Youth Climate Strike uh, organizers, and they've got some really cool stuff planned. A lot of really good youth energy out there and people really hoping to make a difference. Uh, and then we've also got some calls for y'all to make here in the state of California. So let's go through the legislative agenda real quick.
0: Yeah, so we've got AB 1482, which is the uh, rent control measure that got surprisingly like, really good last week. Uh, when uh, our lovely Gavin Newsom uh, hopped in and decided to uh, put some weight behind what was going on. And it changed from being a a, a three-year bill into a 10-year bill and went from, like, what, 7 or 8% plus CPI down to 5% plus CPI and potentially is expanding into single-family homes when they're owned by large corporations like our buddies over at Blackstone. Uh, yeah, they need to. They need to just go away. But in the meantime, uh, call up your state assembly members in support of AB 1482 uh, because it went through the assembly once. It made it over to the senate. They made some changes in the in the senate, and now it's going back to the assembly and needs to be reconciled there. So call up your assembly member and urge them to support AB 1482. Do it as soon as you possibly can. Uh, I think that calling up their local district office as well as their sacramento office is probably the best way to get their attention and then uh, of note here is that you're going to want to make a separate call for each of these issues because as bushido pointed out to me when we were talking about this earlier uh the staffers at these offices don't normally like to record multiple issues on a single call uh so just you know Call one and then call the the next person on the list and then call back to the first one because uh, after you're done with talking about 1482, you need to call up your state senator and talk about AB 857. This is the public banking uh, bill that we've been talking about for a very long time. Uh, so it is currently in, uh, it's made it through the Senate Appropriations Committee and is headed to the floor of the Senate for a vote. Give your senator a call and tell them to support AB 857. Uh, And then, after you're done talking to your senator, call back up your assembly member again and talk about SB 329. So, this is one that we haven't really talked as much about as we probably should have, Uh, but it's the one, it is the piece of legislation that is intended to to, uh, make it illegal for landlords to consider the source of your funding when it comes to considering your. Uh, rental application. So what this is meant to do is protect folks with either Section Eight or any other kind of voucher, um, or uh, public assistance, or mm-hmm. uh, military assistance, or disability assistance, or whatever. Any any sorts of income other than your you know your W two job or 1099 job or whatever job it is that you have. Uh, this this bill would make it illegal for your landlord to discriminate against you based upon that source of income. So again, this is SB 329. Uh, it needs your support, and that one is currently in the Assembly uh, getting ready for a vote. So uh, call up your Assembly members, talk to them about 1482, call up your Senators, talk about AB 857, and then call your Assembly member again and talk about SB 329. And then uh, uh, if yeah. you're
1: if you're looking for something to do on Monday night, Uh, You can go over and talk about the crime busters, which are the kind of violent anti-homeless groups that we've been talking about. Uh,
0: Vigilantes. Yeah.
1: Topanga LAPD headquarters is going to be having a meeting at 5 p.m. It is going to be a barn burner. Uh, It is probably going to result in a lot of shouting and a lot of pointing fingers and a lot of hubbub and we encourage you to show up and uh, stick up for our unhoused neighbors who are literally being attacked. Uh, LAPD kind of waffled back and forth on whether or not they were going to allow the Crime Busters folks to show up. They originally invited them, then with some community pushback, they uninvited them, and then with some pushback from the Crime Busters folks, they invited them again. So expect a contentious meeting at Topanga LAPD headquarters again at 5 p.m. Monday night.
0: Yeah, and then the next morning, Tuesday, September 10th, uh, at 8:30 in the morning. The L.A. County Board of Supervisors is uh, later that morning to be voting on a permanent rent control ordinance for the entirety of unincorporated Los Angeles County. If passed, this will be the largest expansion of rent control in California in decades. A victory in unincorporated L.A. will help shape local tenant protection policies in cities throughout our county for years to come. This event is being hosted by the Unincorporated Tenants United. Uh, the meetup for the location, the meetup location for this is going to be the press conference that's being hosted by Supervisors Sheila Kuhl and Hilda Solis. And that's going to be on the Grand Park side of the Kenneth Hahn Hall of Administration. So if you're not familiar with exactly where that is, um, basically make your way toward Grand Park and then stop before you get to the, uh, the music center. Um, it's those last couple of sets of steps and like, you'll see the, the Kenneth Hahn, uh, hall of, uh, administration, uh, over there where this, this press conference will be held. So that's at eight 30 in the morning on Tuesday, September 10th, also on Tuesday, September 10th at, uh, nine in the morning, because there's definitely not nearly enough going on that day. Um, food and water watch in conjunction with the, uh, the sunrise movement, LA are going to be hosting a demand adjust transition, uh, to clean energy at the LA DWP board meeting. The location for that is going to be at 111 North hope street. And again, that event starts at nine in the morning. Uh, the key demand here is that we move our Los Angeles public power utility over to 100% clean energy by 2030. Uh, if you can't, I mean, it would be ideal if you could make it to both of them, but I know at the same time that they're, you know, happening literally at the same time, that's impossible. So uh, pick which one of those two issues is closer to your heart and go to that one. But uh, we'd love to see you at either one of them. I have uh, already promised that I'm going to be at the the Sunrise and Food and Water action, uh, so I hope to see you all there. Uh, but also, if you want to go to Grand Park at the Kenneth Hahn Hall of Administration, Uh, that is a completely viable and extremely worthwhile event for you to be attending. So uh, other things happening uh, for the rest of the week are, are again, some Los Angeles Tenant Union meetings that are going to be taking place. A bunch of locals. Uh, The Hollywood Local is going to be meeting up on Monday evening, uh, September 9th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at 6500 Sunset Boulevard, 90028. Again, that's the Hollywood Local Uh, Monday, September 9th, 7 to 9 p.m., 6500 Sunset Boulevard, 90028. The Northeast Local is going to be meeting on Wednesday, the 11th of September from 7 to 9 at Avenue 50 Studio. Uh, that's at 131 North Avenue 50, 90042. Again, that's the Northeast Local, Wednesday, September 11th, 7 to 9 p.m. Avenue 50 Studio, 131 North Avenue 50, 90042. And then there's also the North Hollywood Local Meeting for Los Angeles Dependence Union starting uh, Thursday, September 12th from 6.30 until 9 p.m. at 5730 Cahuenga Boulevard, North Hollywood, 91601. Again, that is the North Hollywood Local for Los Angeles Tenants Union, Thursday, September 12th, 630 to 9, 5730 Cahuenga Boulevard. Uh, The east side of Latu, their local, is going to be meeting Thursday, September 12th, 630 to 830, 346 South Gless Street, 90033. Again, the east side local Thursday, September 12th, 630 to 830, 346 South Gless, G-L-E-S-S, Street 90033. And then the South Los Angeles local of the Los Angeles Tenants Union is going to be meeting on Thursday, September 12th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Southern California Library, 6120 South Vermont 90044. Uh, Again, South L.A. local of L.A. Tenants Union meeting is going to be on Thursday, September 12th, 7 to 9 p.m., Southern California Library, 6120 South Vermont Avenue 90044. And, of course, Los Angeles is a ground game. Uh, this little organization that you've probably never heard of, despite the fact that you're listening to the Ground Game LA podcast. Uh, <laughs> we meet up every single Thursday from 7.30 until 9.00, 9.30 at 5617 Hollywood Boulevard uh, in our lovely little office that we keep. And uh, it's actually very comfortable now that we've got our our, our air conditioners got swapped out. Uh, and it is a great place to meet folks who are getting involved locally and demanding real significant change. And You know, just trying to make the world a better place for all of us, but specifically for our local neighbors. Uh, So, again, 5617 Hollywood Boulevard, 730 till 9, every single Thursday. Join us for Ground Game LA. (sighs) All righty. Take us out as always, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so as always, if you all 'all got any events that you want us to be publicizing, take part in, or generally be made aware of, please visit our website at www.groundgamela.org or visit our Facebook page and send us a message. Uh, Or go ahead and send an email on over to podcast at groundgamela.org. If you'd like to read the sources that we've been citing or quoting for yourself, check out the list of articles cited in the episode description on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to us rant and rave about local politics. Thanks again, as always. And Bushido, what do you got to say?
1: Rise up and fuck that shit, but keep your
0: feet on the ground. Yeah, sounds good. Later. Peace, y'all.
1: Bomb,
0: 30, 10 more. Anonymous, sorry, priority net. 30, 10 more, 30, 30, 10 more, more, more.